And, and we were predestined. We found out that we were predestined, that God predestined your salvation before you ever showed up. And you might be thinking, why would God save me before I ever needed saving? And if you remember, the reason why is because he didn't want you to help. He didn't want you involved in it because every time we get involved in it, we screw the whole thing up. So God did it without us, independent from us. He rescued us. And then he makes that transition that, you know, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and now he makes this transition to living out the normal Christian life. And it was very, what it looks like to live in the natural world, as it being in the kingdom of God, as being filled with the Spirit, as being a new creation, living in this world that is still warring against, against God. And now... He brings us to the end, and he makes this transition. He's making this transition back to the Spirit, because he's reminding us that this war, this life that we live in, these struggles that we live in, are spiritual. He's, he's trying to remind us that this life in the flesh, that we don't war, we don't strive, we don't live the godly life through the flesh. Right? Because that's religion. Religion is will, self-will, and self-discipline, and I'm going to do it. And he's saying, that's going to lead to frustration, that'll lead to failure. He says that we're supposed to live by the power of God in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say, ask for God to fill you with his strength, does he? He doesn't say, ask that you might have the strength of the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord, as if it's a done deal. It's done. We don't need to pray to God to strengthen me or, or give me your strength. Let, help me to endure because he's already given your strength, his strength to you. Amen? He's given the power of his might to you. You have the power of the might of God in you. The Greek word for be strong means to make strong, to endue with strength. The idea is to clothe oneself with strength as one puts on a garment. What he's saying is, is that you need to be baptized, you need to be smirched into, you need to be endowed with, you need to be clothed with the garment of God's strength. And how do you do that? Through faith believe. Not too hard. God's ways aren't too hard. The rendering be strong could be encourage one, could encourage one to self-effort and being strong, whereas the translation be strengthened causes the state, saint to depend on the Lord for the supply of that strength. In the Lord, the Christ, Christian strengthening can only take effect in union with Jesus. See, Paul makes sure to make that dis distinguishing between will and self-effort and being trusting, relying on the Lord in the strength of the Lord. Look how the what Weist translation translates this. He says, finally, be continually strengthened in the Lord 
and in the active efficiency of the might that is inherent in him. We're supposed to be clothing ourselves constantly with the idea that we have the strength of the Lord and that we are in union with the Lord. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, wiles of the devil. Hmm. So we're supposed to be put on, we're supposed to be enveloped in, to hide in, to clothe with. That's what it means. We're supposed to hide in, we're supposed to put on the armor of God. We're supposed to hide in the armor of God. We're supposed to hide in the armor. If you're hiding in the armor of God, the devil doesn't know who's in there. If it, and, and whose armor is it? God's armor. So if you're hiding in the armor of God, when the forces of wickedness, the world systems, and Satan looks at a believer, what does he see? You don't want to say it, but you see, he sees God. As long as we don't put up, you know, let him peek in through unbelief. If, staying in faith of who we are. We are the sons and daughters of God. And put on the whole armor, not just part of it. You know, a lot of us are just walking around with the helmet of salvation on and we're completely naked. There's so much more of God than just being saved and going to heaven one day. Look at how the Isaiah, and this is God's armor. It's God's armor. Look at how Isaiah describes the Messiah. In Isaiah 59, 15 through 17, he says, Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. Wow, it sounds like today. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. See, this is the armor of the Lord. This is the armor of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of the God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is the only way that you can stand. The only way that you can stand against the devil and against that evil day is to put on God's armor. To put on God's, God's armor. The American Heritage Dictionary defines while as first a stratagem sure. or trick intended to deceive or ensnare. Second, a disarming or seductive manner, device or Procedure, this word is denoting trickery or deceit. The word wiles in the Old English is an Old English word that is similar, such as words as methods, strategies, schemes, tactics, and devices. So what does Satan have to war against us? Tricks, schemes, devices, tactics. You know, what... what the temptation that you have today was a long calculated assault on you. Satan is patient. He'll work on you 
Let you keep on sowing deception into your life over and over and over again until the trap closes and he's got you. Jesus has stripped Satan of all his power. Satan has no power. All he has is the same power he had against Adam and Eve now. Deception. Trying to get you to team, to, to, to partner, to come in union with him. And if, you, if humanity chooses not to come in union with him, but to be in union with Christ, he has no power over them. Amen. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I just want, want to point something out. Wrestle. Why did you think the Holy Spirit told Paul to choose wrestle? Wrestle. Because that's really how the majority of life is. It's a struggle. It's a wrestle. It's not immediate. It's not a, a one-punch KO. Right? Remember back in the, was the fight nights that only lasted 13 seconds and stuff like that? It was one punch, the guy was out, it was over. Paid 70 bucks to watch the fight, and it was already over. I don't, oh. pastor don't watch stuff like that, though. But, <laughs> but it, it's a struggle. And see, what happens is, is that the testimonies we hear are all about the miracles, the instantaneous type stuff. But the majority of life is the struggle, the wrestle, the good fight of faith. And it's against these principalities, against these powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavy places. It's not against flesh and blood. It's spiritual. All those verses in chapter 4 and chapter 5 talking about how the church is supposed to look and, and how we're supposed to love our wives and how we're supposed to treat our kids and how we're supposed to be in the workplace. All those struggles that we come into contact with are spiritual. We're not warring against individuals. We're warring against the spiritual governments, the spiritual forces, the, spirit, the schemes and de devices of the enemy in their life. And the only way that you can stand against it is through the whole armor of God. These are ranks. See, these ranks, Satan isn't super smart, but he's smart enough to see how God does things, and he sets up his kingdom the same way God sets up his kingdom. Because God has ranks. I mean, he's got different ranks of angels, right? He's got cherubims. He's got seraphims, right? The, the, uh, the seraphims are the ones that, that uh, fly around the uh, throne of God saying, glory, glory, glory. The cherubims are the ones that stand in the, in the presence of God constantly. You have the archangels, like Michael, the warring angels. You have Gabriel. And then you just have ministering angels, angels, messenger angels. We see that. God sent a messenger angel to wake up Peter. He was, he was about to be executed the next day, and he was, asleep so, he was so sound asleep, the angel had to kick him to wake him up. So there's these... There's these ranks in the kingdoms of God. And Satan set up his kingdom the same way. Principalities, these are chief rulers. 
of being of the highest rank in Satan's kingdom. Powers, these are authorities that derive their power and execute the will of chief rulers. These are like sergeants. Rulers of darkness, the spiritual rulers of the world systems, influence rulers of governments. Do you realize that the things that happen happen not because, because men think, think that they're trying to live out their own life and their own plans, but they're actually being influenced by spiritual forces? Governments are influenced by spiritual forces. Take, take, take for instance, the nation of Israel. Every single time, every single time, a different nation ruled in Israel, and the Israelis weren't not there, it became desolate. It became barren. It became desert. There was no trees there. Every single time the Israelis came back into power, it became a fruitful nation. That's amazing to think about. That's a, I tell you the truth. If you just look at Israel, you got, you, it's a miracle. Israel is a miracle. That it was ever rebirthed as a nation is a miracle. Is a miracle. But these nations, I mean, there's different areas. The different areas of, of, of um, Hollywood and governments and all these things, there, there are, and it even talks about it in the book of uh, Ezekiel, talking about he speaks to the, the prince of Tyre and then speaks to the king of Tyre, and both of them represent the, the physical man, and one represents the spirit behind the man, right? Even the Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist that is in the, the earth, right? So there's these spirits behind it trying to get the world to go the way of, of Satan. So we see that we have these, these, these kingdoms, and it sounds big, it sounds scary, but be a good cheer. Look at what the Word has to say. Colossians 2.10, so you also are complete through your union with Christ. Union, what's that? Connection. Baptism with Christ. Who is the head over every principality and power? There's nothing to be scared about. You are over every principality and power because you are united with Christ. Look at what it says here in Colossians 1.16 and 18. For, though, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Speaking of Jesus. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Where are these kingdoms? Where are these thrones? Where are these rulers? In the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else. He and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is, he is the beginning, supreme over all, who raised all who raised from the dead. So he is first in everything. So what it's saying here is saying that we are the body of Christ. And even if you are the skin on the bottom of the foot of the body of Christ, you are above all these rulers, principalities, and powers, above all these kingdoms, above all these thrones and dominions. You are above it all because you have been seated in Christ. We talked about this in Ephesians earlier about how we are seated with Christ where? In heavenly places, far above, right? I think we're going to read that. Yep, Ephesians one twenty one. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else 
not only in this world, but also in the world to come. We are far above, and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when you read these things, it's so easy. And there was even a time back in the 80s and 90s where spiritual warfare got really fruity, got goofy, gave the devil way too much authority. And we're, we're not supposed to be focusing on the things that the devil's doing. We're supposed to be focusing on what Jesus is wanting to do right in the midst of the kingdom of hell itself. Amen? Because that's where you are. You're seated in him. All hell could be breaking loose, but you're seated in Christ Jesus with the armor of God. So back to Ephesians. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Notice he says it again. Take up the whole armor of God, not just parts and pieces of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it's going to go on, stand. The evil day, what is the evil day? The evil day is the day that you're being attacked. When Satan is coming against you, with, when the world is coming against you, stand. See, we're supposed to be putting on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God doesn't protect us automatically. We have to use it. We have to put it on. That's what Paul is referring to here by having done all, stand. You have to stand. You have to put on the whole armor of God. Right? And that's the renewing of your mind. It's believing, it's trusting. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we're supposed to be standing with, and putting on truth as a girdle, as a belt, right? And what they would do is, back in the time Paul wrote this, is people had, everybody wore like a dress, a skirt. And you, it was hard to run in a dress. It was hard to fight in a dress. And what you'd do is you'd take, take it, pull it up between your legs, and tuck it into your belt so your legs were free, so you could fight, so you can run. All right? So what he's trying to say here is don't get all tangled up in your mind. Know the truth. Because the truth will set you free, right? It's gonna, you can get all tangled up in your garments. And he says, tuck it in, tuck your thoughts in so that you <laughs> can stand and you can fight. Amen? Look at what 1 Peter says. Therefore, this is 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind. Sounds exactly what we just read about the bell of truth and what they used it for. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And we talked about this scripture before. Sober doesn't mean don't be drunk. It means have good thinking, straight thinking. Don't be ruled by your emotions. There's some people that get so emotional that they look like they've been drinking. Because they're totally controlled by their emotions. He says, be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. The gospel is truth. That we've been redeemed, that we've been set free. 
Have your mind, do not let your mind be tossed to and fro by emotions and by what's happening in the world, but have a revelation of Jesus in your life. Have a revelation of the truth of Jesus Christ in your life. Control your emotions. Ephesians 6.14, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is one of the most important pieces of armor. It protects all your vital organs. Right? We're not going to go deep into all these. I mean, we could actually do a complete series just on the whole armor of God. I'm just going to give you an overview of this stuff. Righteousness is what protects the believer and gives them the authority over the forces of darkness. Righteousness protects you. Stand in righteousness, right? The Bible, say, the Bible says that um, we, re, we reign in life by receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that we are right, that we are in right standing with God. When Satan comes and, and says that he has authority over you, that I can do these things in your life, you know, you did this, this, and this, so I have a right to rob, kill, and destroy in your life. You have to stand in your righteousness. You have to have, not be controlled by your emotions, but stand in truth, right? There are two types of righteousness that the, that's mentioned in the Bible. There's the righteousness of men, right? And Isaiah says that all our righteousness is but filthy rags before God. And there's the righteousness of God. And so you have to have a clear understanding of righteousness, does God, do you have the right to be a child of God because of your good works, or do you have a right to be, of, to be a child of God because of what Jesus Christ has done, because you have been made a child of God, right? And that's where that war comes in. How many times, even after you've been hearing the gospel for the last almost four years, you go right back to, Looking at your works, you go right back to saying, well, I didn't do this, this, this. I haven't been in the Word very much. I haven't done this. You know, this is what, that might be why Satan is knocking on the door, but it's not God letting him in. You have to say, no, I have a right. I am righteous in Christ Jesus. It's not by what I've done or haven't done, and I stand in him. I rest in him. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Look at how the, the, the Wiest translation puts it. He says, And having sandaled your feet with a firm foundation of the good news of peace. What are you standing on? What's your rock? What's your bedrock? Are you on shifting sand? Or is it on the gospel that we have peace with God? The good news that we have peace with God. That we are on unshakable ground because of what Jesus Christ done with God. That God is on our side. That God is not against us. That we have peace with God. We are actually in the kingdom of God. He is our Father and he is for us and not against us. How many people don't understand the gospel? They don't understand that God is for humanity, and when it comes to things happening in their life, they blame God for it. And they're on sh shifting sand. They don't have a good foundation, and they fall because they don't understand that God is for them. 
that God wants to be their foundation, that God is not against them, that God's not the one that brought calamity to, to their house. You have a firm foundation, Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that we have peace with God, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen. You can say it. Amen. Amen. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What does faith do? Does a faith kind of protect you? No, it says all. All the fiery darts of the wicked one are quenched by faith. It says above all. This means overall. This isn't, it's not saying that faith is the greatest. It's saying that word in the Greek means overall. This shield is over all of you. It means overall and in front of all. Faith, you, you become enveloped in faith. It's a sphere around you. And, and that's the shield that, the, that the, uh, the Romans had. It was a huge, almost, they called it a door. And nothing, the whole, the whole person could be behind this shield. And nothing could get through it. That's what faith is. So what is faith? What is this massive door that nothing can get through? Trust in God. Believing in God. Believing the gospel. Believing that Jesus did it. Believing that he's enough. Believing that you are clothed in the, the armor of God. Believing that, that you are righteous. That he, you are saved. That you are in him. Believing the promises of God. It's just trust in God. It's not nothing complicated. Jesus put it this way. Have faith of a child. We get to the point where we're saying, what is faith? How do I get more faith? What do I, what do I got to do? I don't understand what, I must not understand what faith is. No, you're, you do. It's just simple. It's trust. And that's what it means to stand. Stand in trusting God. When you're in the battle, when you're fighting, you just rest and trust in God. And you make sure that you have the full armor of God on. And you just stand and trust that His promises are true. Because this isn't, see, this is the problem is people want instant, instant miracles. And that's not how it always happens. And when it, it doesn't automatically happen, what do you do? You stand. And how do you stand? You stand making sure that you have the full armor of God on. Because the schemes, the, whale, the wiles, the fiery darts that are being fired at you are looking for a way in. And that's what happens. Just like Paul says, that, that his persecutions that came against him, he was buffeted over and over again. And if he took down any of his armor then it would get through. And he'd start thinking, well, maybe God did, really didn't mean what he meant. Or maybe I have some secret sin in my life. Or maybe I did this. Or maybe I done that. No, stand. Stand in faith. Stand in trust. Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion 
who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What is faith? Faith is trusting in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. That is faith. Faith is believing upon Jesus. It's simple. We must transfer our faith from human self-reliance and dependence to relying upon, clinging to, and trusting Jesus Christ in all areas of our life. All areas of our life. See, that's the problem is some of us, when it comes to maybe, maybe against sin, you're really good at trusting and relying on Jesus to be set free from sin. And temptation doesn't have a lot of strongholds over you. But maybe when it comes to health, you don't trust Jesus as much in that area. Or maybe when it comes to finances, you don't trust Jesus as much in that area. Or maybe when it comes to your family and your relationships and forgiveness, you don't trust Jesus as much in those areas. The list could go on and on. All areas of our life have to move from human self-reliance to reliance on Jesus. Faith, in its simplest definition, is to trust, to rely, and depend upon the, res- the resource of another. We're supposed to trust, we're supposed to depend on a res- resource of another, to have faith in them. And God is faithful. Amen? God's word declares that the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And it can never fail, and it will never disappoint. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We protect our minds by knowing that we are saved. I could do a whole teaching on the word salvation, what it actually means. Prosperity, health, healing, deliverance. We have been sozoed. We've been saved from the kingdom of darkness. Your mind has to be protected with that understanding that you've been redeemed and you have been set free and you are saved and that you are no longer under Satan or his kingdom and it has no claim on you. The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. This is our offensive weapon. This is an offensive weapon. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus used the Word of God. He says, it is written to Satan when temptation came. See, the Word of God doesn't do any good just sitting like this right here. The Word of God really doesn't do any good to your situation by just reading it. It'll do good to your mind. It will renew your mind. But a sword, if it's just sheathed in your mind, isn't going to do anything. It only becomes powerful when it comes out your mouth and is used like a sword, used like a weapon. Amen? We use it by speaking it. That's why he makes that transition to Ephesians, in Ephesians 6.18. He makes this transition right from using the sword to praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In that word, this, this way this, this phrase is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It actually means with supplication in the Spirit. 
The phrase all prayer means various kinds of prayer in the Spirit. Prayer is more than just asking. For example, there's prayers of praise, intercession, thanksgiving, agreement, dedication. There's all these different prayers. And then in the Spirit, this means prayer directed by God's Spirit in accordance with God's will. Can you pray in the Spirit with your known tongue? You can. But you cannot pray in tongues without praying in the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Praying in tongues is praying in the Spirit. But here's this key. A lot of people think that praying in tongues is the most powerful prayer there is, and it's not. It's not. (laughs) Praying in tongues is for when you know not how to pray. And the Bible says, when you know not how to pray, pray in the Spirit. And it says you pray the mysteries of God and the wisdom of God, and you're edified and build up. But, he says, but interpret. Interpret. Pray that you interpret, because praying in the Spirit does no good in the natural until you interpret what God is saying through the Spirit and speak it out with your known tongue through the prayer of faith. God created this whole world through words. And he expects us to pray in faith with accordance to his word. His word does not return void unto him, but it will accomplish what he has sent it to do. Amen. You take authority. You use the sword. Amen. That's good. What else we got here? Paul used this terminology when referring to praying in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14.2 and verse 15. Therefore, this also includes praying in tongues. Amen. Ephesians 6.19-20 And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What is the mystery of the gospel? It's Jesus for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Think about Paul. Paul is in prison right now when he's writing this to the Ephesians. And he says, pray for me. Pray for me that I might be bold. This was the boldest man that I have ever, that the world has ever seen besides Jesus Christ. This is a man that was stoned to death. They drug him out of the city and left him for dead. It says that he went to the third heaven and seen things that he couldn't describe, came back to life, got up, went to Galatia, took a 20-mile trip, and when he got there, preached the gospel. This is a man that was, they were going to execute him, that was whipped, that was beat, that was, had his ankle bones broken, with my rods that was thrown in prison multiple times. And he says, pray for me that I might be bold. And if, prayer, if, if he needed prayer that he might be bold, how much more do I need prayer that I might be bold? How much more do we all need prayer that we would be bold in Christ? Verse 21 
but that you may also know my affairs and know how I am doing. Tychicus? Sam? But that you may know how my affairs and how I am doing, Sam, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul's in prison, but he loved the church. He loved the Ephesians so much that he wanted them to go and he wanted to have a personal message sent from one of his beloved brothers to just let them know, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to edify them, to, re- to understand that even though Paul's in prison, that he, he's doing well, that God's grace is sufficient, that, that it's not, the gospel's not being hindered, and he had a heart for the church of Ephesians. And that's a, that's a mark of a minister of the gospel, is, is do, they, do they love the church? Do they love the church? Verse 23 and 24, his closing salutations. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen. He, he blesses them, speaking peace to them, love with faith, faith in trusting in God the Father, and Jesus Christ, and, and through the grace, he, he proclaimed God's unmerited favor, his blessing, his anointing, beyond every single one that loves Jesus. Paul invoked a blessing of God's grace upon the recipients of every single one of his letters. Grace. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, God's ability, God's equipping on each one of us. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.